to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. I want to start off this episode talking about Katie Meyer, the Stanford soccer player who passed away last week. And of course, there was a lot of speculation, and I speculated as well, because again, immediately our minds go straight to the jabs as being a, a cause of death among college students. We, we have to keep a number of things in mind, of course, and that's number one, we don't know the full picture. And I'm going to apparently describe again, this is according to her own parents as of late, but uh, there was more to this story apparently than what met the eye. Um, you know, at the exact same time, we have to take into consideration that suicide is the number one cause of death among college students. And apparently, according to her parents, that was the cause of her death. Now, we don't know any more specifics beyond that as far as her death is concerned. What her parents have said in this article, which I'm going to read, and then I want to dive a little bit deeper into the frame of mind of college students, in particular, of course, over the last couple of years. Because it, given the fact that suicide is the number one cause of death among college students, it's, it's the way in which these institutions are designed, even stretching from the K-12 environment right through higher ed, they're designed to wear away at the mind of the individual for a variety of reasons, which I'll get into later. But I want to describe, I want to read through this story first. This comes from The Hill. Again, Stanford soccer player who, who was found dead in campus residence died, of, died by suicide. Again, this is allegedly according to someone, an investigator, parents, what have you. Uh, let's see. Stanford University soccer captain and goalkeeper Katie Meyer was found dead on campus Tuesday. She died by suicide, quote-unquote, said Gina Meyer, Katie Meyer's mother. The last couple of days are like a parent's worst nightmare, and you don't wake up from it. So it's just horrific, she said. Uh, she said that she and Katie Meyer's father, Stephen Meyer, are still shocked at the death of their daughter and are trying to understand what happened. They said that they believed that the Stanford student received an email about disciplinary action she may be facing from the school for an incident that happened on campus. And then it says, quote, Katie being Katie was defending a teammate on campus over an incident, and the repercussions of her defending that teammate were possibly resulting in disciplinary action, said the father. Says we've not seen the email yet, Gina Meyer said, the mother, and she had been getting letters for a couple of months. This letter was kind of a final letter that there was going to be a trial or some kind of something. This is the only thing that came up with that triggered something. So th that's that's the end of the article, essentially. Um, again, I, I'm, I'm not there. I don't know all of the specifics. Here, here's what I do know. In 2007, a woman by the name of Miriam Grossman, who is a, or, or was, I should say, a campus psychiatrist, wrote an excellent book titled Unprotected. This is, a, this is an example of a book, again, that Parents should read, uh, a number of individuals should read, anybody should read this book. It really is very enlightening. And the subtitle of the book is titled, A Campus Psychiatrist Reveals How Political Correctness in Her Profession Endanger Every Student. The book is frightening. 
when it comes to the negligence that is surrounding the entire environment of, of higher ed. And as we're, of course, seeing, the same is true in K-12 education. The Crumbly case with Ethan Crumbly in Michigan is, is the exact same kind of thing. The constant deterioration of, of the mind is brought on by the school environment itself. Yes, of course, it's societal factors and cultural factors and technology and uh, what goes on in the home and XYZ. But for a school environment to just withdraw themselves from being a part of that mental and emotional decline of a student or a group of students, or just, again, young people, is asinine to, ap- to, to actually believe that they would be removed from, from harming them. These environments are harming them, I would say, more frequently than any other environment. You know, w- when you attend a brick-and-mortar school, you, you very rarely have the opportunity to turn off the switch. You have to go to class. If you don't go to class, you know, you lose points and then ultimately you're kicked out of the class. And if you don't go enough, then the university kicks you out, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas again, if someone attends an online school, you can pick it up, put it down, pick it up, put it down. You have deadlines, you meet those deadlines, but you manage your own time in your own way. You know, this business of, well, you have to be logged into this class at this time on this day. You know, that, that, that's not really the way that the online institutions work. But it's easier to pick things up and put things down at your own leisure and manage your own time in an online environment as opposed to a brick and mortar environment. The other problem with a brick and mortar environment, of course, is the political indoctrination that runs its way all the way up and down and through and through those environments. And I'm not going to re repeat myself necessarily on all of that. It, it goes without saying at this point. But that's what's chipping away at the mind of the students. So I'm going to hypothesize a little here and do a little more speculation and just kind of see where this takes me and takes us here. Put yourself in the shoes of Katie Meyer for a moment. She's a soccer player, received national attention, apparently. I didn't know who she was until she passed away. Clearly a NCAA Division I player. And a lot of individuals attend school because of the sport that they're playing. Again, whether it be a scholarship, which it probably was in her case, a variety of things. Um, but, but at the end of the day, if the student views themselves as being an athlete over a student, then they become even more one-dimensional than they maybe already are. Which means the second that something gets disrupted, for example, academic standing or something else, uh, in particular in, in, in the culture that exists again now in higher ed where you have anonymous reporting of quote-unquote hate crimes, you'll have end, endless individuals, students themselves, turning one another in for nothing. And the universities have no choice but to investigate. So they have these diversity, equity, and inclusion boards that are made up of students and sometimes faculty. And they become this 
Marxist Bolshevik uh, judge-jury executioner within these institutions. Again, if you're if you're doing the right thing in a particular situation, you can be accused of doing the wrong thing and then be smeared, labeled, and destroyed by uh, anonymous individuals who, again, file anonymous reports against you. It is bol- uh, just a Bolshevik tactic to the bone. And it is designed, again, as sort of a retribution or just a vindictive behavior and even a way to just get back at somebody, maybe because you're jealous of them or or whatever it may be. And again, the same thing happens with professors too. Very good professors, again, have students make anonymous complaints about them over absolutely nothing. And it could be completely made up. But they are believed as the anonymous reporter. Even if, again, they share their first and last name, you know, the investigative body knows who they are. But they try to keep that a secret again because there's no due process within within these bodies anymore. It, it's just not the way that it operates. So they engage in these militant tactics that again they don't either know nor care about them destroying the psyche of the individual who's being accused. And in many cases, I assume it's being falsely accused. We have to assume that. Why, why would these people tell the truth when they, when they make a report of some kind? There are more false reports these days in the environments that are allowing all of this to take place than there are truthful reports. So I don't know what happened with her particular situation again, and I don't know what it had to do with other students in XYZ, but what I do know is that in the mind of, a, of someone who tends to be one-dimensional, and it's possible that she was, that she was, again, standing up for someone um, in a particular incident. Again, I don't know if it was a violent situation or not. I, I don't know what was going on. But to start receiving emails from the university claiming you know, that we're, we're coming after you or, or we're going to hold you accountable for your behavior or whatever else, this is what, in the mind of, of the individual, it puts them on an island. And they end up believing, again, that they're alone, that they can't ask for help. That there's nothing that you know they can do, um, and that right there just chips away at the mind of of the individual, and it doesn't help again if that individual is a one dimensional individual and has sort of put all of their chips into one basket, and then they can start to see that basket be taken away from them. That's when it really becomes very problematic. We also have to keep something else in mind, and this is huge. And it's not going to come as a shock to anybody who listens to this, but the university environment seeks to divide the student and the young person from their own family. And we're seeing this more and more even in the K-12 environment. The K-12 environment is seeking to, to separate the child from the parents as much as humanly possible. I mean, these teachers are getting on TikTok videos openly admitting that they don't communicate with parents and that they indoctrinate these parents' children, i.e. their students. So this happens again in higher ed. That's the entire, that's the entire dynamic of it. Um, we've heard, again, countless stories of 
individuals going off to college, and then they come back after a semester at college for a Christmas break back to their parents' house, and they've done a complete 180 in the way that they behave, the way they dress, the way they look, the way they sound, all of it. The same thing is happening again in the K-12 environment. And again, it almost doesn't even matter what side of an issue you're on. You could be innocent, you could be you could be guilty, you could be uh, a complete conservative and, and still have things break down and do the right thing and, and still have things break down inside of, of a person's mind. My point is, is that we, we also cannot exclude the impact that the jabs are having on the mental and emotional framework of the individual who has taken the jabs. I don't know if she did or not. It's possible she had a medical exemption or a religious exemption, maybe. Um, I, you know, th- there's no way that I would know that. You would think, though, that a logical doctor of any kind today, knowing what's going on now, would ask that question and would ask that question of the parents because the shots themselves are creating a a mental decline in individuals because that's what they're supposed to do. I mean that's 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 that was the purposeful makeup of of the shots themselves. But again, it would take a knowledgeable individual to again know these things in order to ask the appropriate questions. If they don't if they don't know these things, then they can't ever ask the appropriate questions and and make the correct uh, connections from dot to dot. So I feel terrible for everybody involved. I mean, it's an awful situation, but we also have to understand she's not the only one. This happens all of the time. Again, if, if, the, if suicide is the number one cause of death among college students, and it is for a variety of reasons, homesickness, poor grades, threat of getting kicked out, uh, having, for the very first time, having negative interpersonal relationships with individuals. Again, whether they be casual or they be um, more serious. You know, they, they, individuals get sucked into these environments and they forget why they are really there. And I understand, again, that you know, there's making friends is, is, is a part of it, and there's all kinds of associations in XYZ, but I think it would be the rare individual who, who would go back and look back at their time at a college or a university and say to themselves, you know what, I probably could have done that better. Maybe I didn't need to hang out with that person as much. Maybe I should have spent a little more time focusing on this instead of that. You know, whatever the situation may be. but. I can't emphasize enough the importance of what happens, again, with the one-dimensional mind and, and the person who, again, puts all of their eggs in one basket, and then all of a sudden someone comes around and says, your basket's racist. <laughs> and, then, you know, and then all of a sudden they say, no, no, it isn't. And then they say, yes, it is. And then the mob just takes over and starts screaming and yelling. That, um, that wears on a person. In particular, a more a more fragile individual, who again maybe hasn't had those interactions. But again, you know, it also 
it also, I think, exposes an even bigger problem among athletes that there's this, you know, I'm using that finger quotes, student athlete, that there's this mentality that, oh, you know, they're tough and they were in a tough game and a big game and they came through and that means they're mentally strong and blah, blah, blah. You know, all of that is really a charade as far as I'm concerned because it has nothing to do with anything else. It just, it, it has no connection to anything else. That all of a sudden, you know, if an individual can kick a field goal uh, in the last seconds of a, of a football game and do it consistently and win constant games, then when they go home, they must be 100% fine between the ears. That's not, that's not true. One thing has absolutely nothing to do with, you know, it has nothing to do with the other. One thing can impact the other. There's no doubt about that. Constant failure. Can, can impact uh, the mental and emotional framework of a person's mind and, and the chemicals that flow throughout their body that control their mood. There are a number of different factors. Too many to list, as a matter of fact. But what has gone on here over the last two years is really going to be the serious mental and emotional um, variable for lack of a better word, that, that's going to impact people, whether we can see that impact or not. We have, to, we have to just know that it's happened. We have to know that this has impacted endless people. Take the jab for, for one quick example. And this could have even been the case with Katie Meyer. I don't know. But you have endless individuals now who have been jabbed, and they know that what they took is going to harm them and is harming them again whether they know it or not so finding that out is also going to wear away a little bit at at their mind and that is also operating on a spectrum that these individuals are not necessarily in control of how their mind or how the chemicals in their body react to learning something new that they have actually done to themselves because they were duped, because they were lied to. They turned on their TV, they believed it, they did it, they dangled a little gift in front of them, whether it was money, a free donut for a year. Um, that was the, you know, the Krispy Kreme thing. Donuts for a year if you get your shots. A vacation, I can't travel unless, I can't have surgery unless, I can't, you know, I can't do this, I can't do that unless I've had these shots. It, it, it's arguably been one of the largest, if not the largest crime against humanity that's ever been imposed on people, and the people who fell for it are the ones who are, again, paying the ultimate price. We're all paying a price. Because everybody else has to watch this. You know, it goes back to even like the mask wearing, for example. And this has been said a lot, and I agree, that the mask wearing is insulting to us, to the individuals who have never worn them. We don't like seeing it. It, it makes us angry that these people are wearing them. Because, again, they do nothing. And it's insulting to our freedoms, which are the same freedoms that they have, yet they don't even know that they have those same freedoms. It's like, again, can we not read the directions on the side of the box? I mean, take the, take the current lifting of all the mask mandates. 
They've been lifted almost everywhere. They're almost non-existent now. But you still have endless people wearing them. They're still wearing masks in their cars by themselves. I was in the grocery store just the other day. 40% of the people are probably still wearing masks. Thank God the employees aren't anymore. Not that I could tell. But there's still people walking around with masks on. I can't for the life of me figure it out. But I mean, I know I, I can figure it out. I, I know why they're doing it. They're now so used to the slavery that they believe again that they were never wrong. And by taking it off, it's an immediate admission that they were wrong. And they don't want to admit that privately or publicly. But then again, you've got a lot of people also virtue signaling and saying, well, we don't wear masks anymore. We don't do that anymore. That's not something we do. And I'm saying to myself, damage done. You already did. You already did. And by doing that, they were hurting other people. By other people seeing and being, being forced to basically witness their own stupidity. What they themselves were inflicting on others by gagging themselves and their little children that they walk hand in hand with. And again, I know I'm not the only one who's wanted to rip a mask off of a little child and, and you know, take them away from their abusive parent. But some people, again, the, the, the masks, I don't know, the masks just aren't going to go away. But neither is the damage that this has done mentally and emotionally to countless people. So that's kind of my rant on that. The higher education environment is designed to be divisive and it is designed to be sandpaper on the brain and to scratch away over the course of time any semblance of sanity that may exist within a student. I mean, then, then that's it right there. That, that's what it's doing. There's another element, of course, which again falls in line with realizing the truth over the course of time. When an individual again has been duped and been lied to and been tricked and they've believed something for X amount of time and then all of a the sudden they, they recognize that they were living a lie and that they've actually inflicted this lie on themselves. That's going to have a massive impact on a person's mental and emotional health. So take, for example, again, the lies that were, that were shown on television, which are all lies, the school lies that were taught in K-12, all the way through school, you're tested about these lies, you're quizzed on these lies, you, uh, you, you, you take tests and quizzes and you, you get these answers wrong, and it turns out that the entire subject matter is wrong. That the entire thing that you're taking a test on is something that isn't even real. When, 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 when a person comes to that realization, that's not easy to deal with. But again, I've mentioned cumulative risk before. And this is a very sort of old health education psychological mentality that, that is real. And it does exist. And the, and the mind doesn't necessarily compartmentalize appropriately particular subjects or stressors and stress that actually weigh on a person's mind. It's just all stress. And when the mind has had enough, it's had enough. And it'll let you know. 
because again, a chemical shift will happen in the brain, and then there you have it. But for a student to do what Katie Meyer has allegedly done to herself and not have other chemicals from the outside enter her body and have that impacted, along with an environmental aspect of, again, the mask wearing, the jabs, the, the pressures, the this, the that. All of that, again, is just one weight on top of another, on top of another, on top of another, and then the individual feels like they can't move anymore, like they can't go anywhere. This is, again, why a lot of people don't even ask for help when, uh, when they're hurting in some way, because they feel like they're so beaten down that they can't even ask for help. And I know what that's like. I mean, I get it. I fully get it. But these environments are doing this to these people. And it would be an even larger stressor for an individual to come to grips with the fact that these environments are doing this to these people on purpose. That the people that are funding these institutions know that they are destroying their own product, which is, again, a human being. They want the human being's money. And at the end of the day, they do not care what happens with that human being. Again, no one's ever going to blame these diversity inclusion and inclusion groups or um, student-led disciplinary boards as ever being the cause of the mental and emotional decline of a college student. It won't happen. They'll never blame them. They'll never say, you know what, maybe we need to get rid of this. It's uh, remarkably detrimental to the mental and emotional health and, and physical health of, of the individuals that are being accused of this, that, or the other. Maybe we just need to you know, get back to teaching, learning, and going home. It's not going to happen. It won't happen. Uh, expecting these criminals that run these institutions to accept responsibility for what they've done is not going to happen. In particular, when it comes again to the mask wearing and the jab rollout and everything that's taken place over the last two years, these places are criminal organizations. They're criminal organizations. And again, I want to thank Frank on, on Quite Frankly, on the Quite Frankly podcast for having me on again. And I said at the end of my segment there last Thursday, I said, you know, don't send your children to the enemy. Don't do it. Find something else for them to do. Encourage them to do something else. And at the very least, if they're going to go to these environments, they shouldn't be wearing a mask. They shouldn't be wearing a jab. In my opinion, they shouldn't be even in dormitories. They should be living by themselves or with one other person potentially. Um, But they should always be in in constant communication with loving family members if they have them, assuming they have them. But that's... That's so much to ask, and I and I and I I just don't know if again, I mean I do know these are just not the best environments to attend. An individual could very easily live closer to home if they wanted to move away out of their parents' house and um, and attend an online institution that would be far more healthy. Like I said at the beginning, you can manage your time better. You can pick things up. You can put things down. Th- this is the healthier environment. Just like the homeschooling individual throughout this entire time, throughout this last two years, the homeschooling students and elementary stu- students are laughing when they, when they look at these high school students flailing about not knowing what to do with their time, wearing masks and XYZ and taking shots and just doing what the machine tells them to do. 
elementary school students who are teaching themselves at home are going, mommy, daddy, um, why are they acting that way? Why are they doing that? And those parents are explaining it to them. They're explaining it to those children, and those children are smarter as a result of it. So there is that other side, which has to be, again, consistently brought up and discussed as well, which is a much healthier side, as, as you might imagine. So again, I feel terrible for the Meyer family. Um, I don't know the full story there. I can speculate as the day is long, but I do know that the environment is to blame. So again, if you're in- interested in, in reading an, a really excellent book, Again, it's from 2007, but it is as relevant today as ever before. Uh, it's from Miriam Grossman, and the book is titled Unprotected, A Campus Psychiatrist Reveals How Political Correctness in Her Profession Endangers Every Student. And it does, and it's widespread neglect and all of the other reasons that I've brought up. So there is that. Okay, this next thing. This again, connected, it just connects directly to what I'm talking about and how this kind of thing exists not only within the K-12 environment when it comes to revealing the truth and, and telling the truth to students, but that the K-12 environment itself does not want students to know the truth because that threatens the entire K-12 environment and every single person who works within. Every single person is then threatened because they have to come face to face with their own stupidity and their own ignorance. And they certainly don't want that. So this comes from the Gateway Pundit. I put this out on my gab. Um, substitute, it's titled Substitute Teacher and Journalist Suspended for Not Parroting States Approved Talking Points on Russian Invasion of Ukraine. Not only have they been suspended, they were just fired. Because again, they were expecting their students to think as a substitute teacher for, you know, a few minutes. And then before you know it, all it took again was students going home, complaining to their parents, parents call the school, guy loses his job. Uh, I'm going to play the entire news report here. Give this a listen. In the schools, they're suspending a substitute teacher for trying to push Russian propaganda on students. The incident is raising a lot of questions in the community. Fox 5's Maureen Ume is live outside Swanson Middle School, where this happened with the story. Maureen, good morning. Still a lot to clear up here, huh? All right. Yeah. Good morning to both of you. I just spoke to the substitute teacher, John Stanton, who's offered a little more clarity about what happened here. He says this was on Friday during a World's a world uh, studies class, world languages class, Spanish. He says he went off script for about 10 minutes to talk to the students about what was happening between Russia and Ukraine and said that he talked about how he can understand uh, Russia's uh, point of view when it came to attacking Ukraine based on their world perception and, and their geographics, so to speak. Well, Stanton tells me that uh, he told he was told that a student recorded him uh, and then that student showed the recording to their parents who went to school officials and without anyone talking to him, he says he received a letter yesterday that he he had been suspended. Uh, Stanton says he is not pro-Russian. He says he was trying to offer an alternative viewpoint of what was happening in Russia and Ukraine. He says he's lived in Russia and is a journalist who's always observing and asking questions. Now, Stanton says he did encourage his students to seek information sources from both the West and East before forming opinions. And now, while uh, he did respond to the letter received from Arlington school officials writing in part this, he says, more was expected of young people long ago. Sheltering them and feeding them one-sided information is a grave mistake with 
long-term consequences. Now, Sam does have a very lengthy resume, and as I pointed out in my earlier reports, he has written for some pro-Russia propaganda outlets like Pravda, but he says, he counters that, that he's also written for pro-democracy outlets like Counterpunch, and so there is really quite a balance. Again, he says he's a journalist who observes and writes about things in his long career. He says he's 65 years old, has no intention of uh, reseeking his job here at uh, Swanson Middle School because at this point he says he believes it's a lost cause. He says he's a writer and that's what he'll continue to do. Back to you. Right out of the gate, the news anchor was openly saying it's Russian propaganda. I mean, it was the first sentence out of his mouth. Substitute teacher is uh, pushing Russian propaganda in a classroom. How does he know that? How does he know that? He doesn't. But right when you hear that out of the top, you know, again, that local news organizations are the enemy of the people. This substitute teacher, arguably, is not only overqualified, he's probably the best substitute teacher that's ever shown up in that school in Arlington, Virginia, ever. The guy used to live in Russia. He's a journalist. He has an extensive resume, which they didn't even want to read. He's smarter than the people who run that news station and everybody who was reporting it. The smartest person in the entire story is the substitute teacher. But this is what happens, again, in an information war, which we are consistently in and have been, of course, since the beginning of time, certainly since the invention of radio, television, and the newspaper. But the guy gets removed and ultimately fired because, again, he's encouraging them to think and take in multiple perspectives rather than the mainstream narrative, which even they themselves, when reporting on this story, could not avoid. They, they just couldn't. Russian propaganda. And he's worked for some Russian propaganda outlets, but also these other de pro-democracy outlets like Counterpunch. Counterpunch is a left-wing rag. It's a left-wing propaganda rag. So again, the actual media outlet, the local news channel themselves, are lying through their teeth about the story. The only truthful person in the whole thing, again, was the substitute teacher. But this is what happens, as I've said. You lose your job when you encourage people to think. You lose your job in the education avenue when you encourage individuals to take in all sides. Again, next week, Dr. Robin McCutcheon is going to be on. And the way that she's even currently being treated right now at her university is in line with this. This is, this is just what happens. You tell the truth. You, can, you encourage people to do the same. You encourage people to figure out what that truth is. And then all of the guns turn on you. What are they so afraid of? What are they so afraid of? And the fact is, is they're afraid of being wrong. No different than the jabbed who come to grips with the fact that um, they've poisoned themselves to death. They don't want to come to grips with that. They don't want to read those facts that they, in fact, have been wrong this entire time. That's, again, that's a piece of humble pie that um, they're going to choke on. But this is, th th that story right there, and the reason I wanted to play it, is it's a perfect snapshot of what the entire business is like now. And it is a business, but what they don't understand is it's a failing business. They're doing it by their own hand. They're throwing out their own product. 
They're corrupting their own product and they're expecting people to just continuously buy it. That's, it's not going to last. It, it can't last. It's already on fire. The fire trucks are too far away to put out, put out the flames. The hose doesn't stretch that long. And too many of us are having too much fun watching the whole thing just burn. So I don't, I don't know what these people are thinking in higher ed. They're not thinking. And I don't know what the people in K-12 are thinking because they're not thinking. And they're all jabbed, which again just means they're really not going to be thinking as time goes on here. So speaking of that, here's the next story I wanted to bring up. And this comes from basedunderground.com. It's titled, quote, Shocking Numbers Out of ultra-vaxxed Israel debunk the notion that adverse reactions to COVID jabs are rare, quote-unquote. It says there's a reason doctors across the nation have been instructed to downplay potential adverse reactions to the COVID jabs. They're so frequent, it would be terrifying if people knew the truth. It says, quote, It feels like we've reached the end of the pandemic panic theater, at least temporarily. Mask mandates are lifting. Joe Biden didn't even mention his beloved vaccine mandates during the State of the Union address. Anthony Fauci seems to have disappeared off the face of the earth. But there's a very good chance that in the near future, likely no later than mid-autumn, panic panic theater will rear its ugly head again. It will likely pop up because of the new variant of COVID-19 that is more deadly than Omicron, but just as transmissible. And there are other possibilities. One particularly dreadful theory I've recently pieced together from various sources points to a new hemorrhagic fever spreading across the globe. And then it just continues again. It's going to be the side effects again of those that are jabbed. It's going to be, if anything like this comes back, which it probably will, it'll just be the story that comes back. It's not going to be um, any real illness from the unjabbed, as I've brought up here on countless occasions, it's going to be the jabbed that are experiencing these effects. They're going to continue to ram these faulty tests down everybody's throats, and people will continue to still uh, still drink it all in, like it's like it's the truth. But this next story shouldn't shock anybody because this is factual, and this is why again Emerald Robinson has been kicked off of every platform she's been on in particular from Newsmax, which again is another controlled rag. I'm shocked that anybody watches or listens to Newsmax even. Um, they too are pro-jab. They are pro-Ukraine. They have no idea what's going on, but if, you have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, they do know what's going on. They're just keeping it from people. But Emerald, uh, Emerald Robinson is based, and her substack is called Emerald Robinson's The Right Way. This comes from March 5th, and it's titled, Fox News and Newsmax took Biden money to push deadly COVID vaccines to its viewers. Corporate news outlets do not disclose the money they took to push dangerous drugs to their conservative audiences. She says, two days ago, Chris Pandolfo at Blades, at Blaze Media rather, revealed that his media organization has filed FOIA requests regarding the Biden administration's covert funding of the deadly new vaccines and the American corporate media. What they discovered will certainly shock you, and it's a crucial story, that our corrupt media will work hard to make the least covered and least discussed news story of the year. And his story was back on March 3rd, titled Exclusive, The Federal Government Paid Hundreds 
of media companies to advertise the COVID-19 vaccines while those same outlets provided positive coverage of the vaccines. What did Chris find? He discovered that nearly the entire corporate media took money from the Biden administration to push the vaccines to their audiences without disclosing it. More importantly, so-called conservative, quote-unquote, media organizations took money from the Biden administration to spin positive stories about deadly and ineffective vaccines to their conservative viewers who were right to be suspicious and did not disclose it. Fox News took the money and said nothing to its conservative viewers. Newsmax took the money and said nothing to its conservative viewers. Said in response to a FOIA request filed by The Blaze, HHS revealed that it purchased advertising from major news networks including ABC, CBS, NBC, as well as cable TV news stations Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, legacy media publications including the New York Post, the Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post, digital media companies like BuzzFeed News and Newsmax, and hundreds of local newspapers and TV stations. These outlets were collectively responsible for publishing countless articles and video segments regarding the vaccine that were nearly uniformly positive about the vaccine in terms of both its efficacy and its safety. She says that is the largest and most comprehensive breach of journalistic ethics that has ever occurred. Almost everybody took the money. Almost everybody lied about the vaccines knowingly or unknowingly. Almost everybody refused to report anything negative about the vaccines because they were paid to close their eyes. Almost everybody is implicated. No kidding. And again, as, as interesting as this is, it should not shock anyone at this particular stage of the game. It's going to shock countless individuals, of course, who are not awake and have no idea that that's how this entire apparatus operates. It operates on money. You will read this. We will pay you. You have to read this. That's it. That's why, again, people like Emerald Robinson get kicked out of the press rooms and don't get called on and get fired from these organizations because she asks questions. You can't ask questions as a substitute teacher, ladies and gentlemen. What makes anybody think you can ask a question as a, as a journalist um, working for one of these major news outlets? What's funny are, are the looks on people's faces who work, who work within these organizations, in particular Fox News. If you just look at the looks on their faces sometimes when they're having to report on this, some of them even know it's total bullshit, but they have no choice. So they think. What they don't understand, and this is the part that grinds my gears, and it's again why Kari Lake, who's running for uh, Arizona governor, she left the entire media apparatus because she had had enough. She knew exactly what they were doing. She knew the lies that were being told, and she said, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. I have a conscience. And it's weighing on me all of the lies that have been going on this entire time. And fortunately, she's out of the business. And she's, she's going to make a great governor of Arizona, and she should. I hope she wins. But these media people have got to leave. They've got to get out of this business if they have any ounce of moral authority whatsoever left. And all we're seeing now on television are all of the people who have none. As far as I'm concerned, again, you turn on the television, you see a face on TV. They have no moral fortitude whatsoever. None. Zero. It's gone. It's absolutely gone. Now, those of you who have been listening to this podcast for quite some time know that I like Dr. Yost Merlu's writing. I like the way he thinks. Um, 
he sometimes inaccurately references history, in particular when it comes to what went on in Germany, but a lot of other things he gets dead on, um, which is absolutely fantastic. And I want to continue reading here from Delusion and Mass Delusion, and uh, just a couple of sections here. So this particular section is titled The War of Nerves, and I think it fits perfectly as most of his writings do with, with sort of the current times, which again, as I recommend, and I did last summer, I recommend you read The Rape of the Mind. If you've not read that book, it is a must. And it will again, clearly put into perspective everything that's been going on here over the last two years. But this is on page 86 of Delusion and Mass Delusion, and again titled The War of Nerves. It reads like this, quote, Wars of nerves, or mental wars, serve to weaken mass opinion through fear and fright. First, the enemy is brought into a state of latent panic. One's own country is, meanwhile, injected with suspicion toward the enemy. As a result, the war itself is experienced by the population as something tangible, a delivery from fear and delusion. Fearful expectation is felt as more frightful than the horrible reality itself. The war of nerves paralyzes the mass. This is why the mass tolerates so many evils in the world. This paralysis of the people occurred following the German invasion. After a period of three months, however, resistance began to materialize. Inner defenses began to function again. The underground and the resistance movement sprang into motion. The war of nerves exploits the fact that man is the animal who can suffer most who can tolerate most, with death as the only limit. The next section is titled Collective Paralysis. It says, quote, Collective paralysis in reaction to fright and terror warrants further analysis. The pathology of war offers the best example. Frontline fighting penetrates the, the mind very deeply. No soldier can escape it. We speak of shell shock, anxiety, neuroses, or combat fatigue in the extreme cases. In reality, however, all who have experienced the horror of war are changed by it. In one way or another, everyone builds a defense against the frightening experiences. Fear and terror before penetrating deeply into the mind require an incubation phase before they cause inner explosion and neurotic reactions. People are at first rather passive in battle. They can fight like automations before the inner rebellion begins. At that moment, the shock reaction comes suddenly to the fore. The incubation period may last from months to years. The fear penetrates even while defenses are built. Years after the war, the battle neuroses may come to the fore. We all know the rather emotional silence of the veteran who is reluctant to divulge his battle experiences. In the field of literature, it was only after 1927 that authors began to write about their real war experiences as a last liberation from the horrors. Years after the armistice, extensive war writing made its appearance. This last section I'm going to read is titled Restitution of Free Opinion. It says, quote, Fear, fright, and intimidation may pass through a long incubation period and have extensive after-effects on human thinking. The human brain is heavily burdened and much time elapses before the personality again finds itself. As members of the mass, people initially accept the maddest conceptions. Unless they do so, 
they feel themselves banished, isolated, shut out from the love and praise of their companions. If the terror is great enough, many a technical philosopher will hasten to conform to mass thinking. The mass does not tolerate outsiders who confront it with a mirror of primitive pictures. The voice of freedom has to be strong in order to start again free independent thinking. In wartime, the Allied radio propaganda took very good care of that, unquote. It eliminated it. It kept people from being free and independent thinkers. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what the school environments are doing. That's what the media is doing. They've always done it. It's just becoming more and more obvious to many of us. And as maddening as that is, it's a good thing. But I'm going to keep reading from his work and from Dr. Mirlu's books. I have another book here that I'm going to start reading from a little bit too. It's titled That Difficult Piece. And there's a lot of good stuff in there too, in particular when it comes to what he refers to as peace fair. So instead of the warfare talk that people constantly hear and then soak in and believe, albeit falsely, what if the narrative shifted to peace fair? And that someday, eventually, we start talking about, again, the solutions to these problems. But we can't have those conversations if people are still surrounded with the actual problem and they engage themselves in the environment of that problem. They have to leave these environments. Like I've said on countless occasions, they have to leave these schools. And same thing with the media apparatus. The people have to stop working in those environments and walk away and tell people why they're walking away. That's what leads toward the peace fair movement, which is something that has got to happen here in the future, in my opinion. Um, with that said, ladies and gentlemen, have a great week, and I will catch you on Wednesday. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.